0: Hello and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. Uh, Last week I appeared on the Cato Daily Podcast to talk about the PACT Act, uh, which is a new bill from Senators Brian Schatz and John Thune. It's yet another attempt at reforming Section 230, which obviously is a topic that we talk about fairly often on Tech Dirt. And... The Pact Act is often considered to be one of the more serious attempts, I guess, at uh, reforming Section Two Thirty. However, I actually think that the bill is badly mis-targeted, poorly drafted, and would have massive unintended consequences for pretty much the entire internet. So, uh, given the discussion on the podcast and the relevance to tech uh, this week, we're going to run it here on our feed. So, the host of that podcast is Caleb Brown, uh, and that's the voice that you'll hear first after this. Uh, who in interviewed uh, Cato's Will Duffield and myself all about the PACT Act. So that is what we have today for the podcast. Please enjoy. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get
1: methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright police from pulling the wall on us. Painting and taking on all the plates to pay to troll. Document the way that they aim to take control. Succinize and brutalize and make them fall. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt.
2: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, March 31st, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. The PACT Act is aimed at, well, something, surely, but it's not exactly clear what. It's ostensibly aimed at regulating how platforms address speech of those platforms' users— even going so far as to define how platforms may remove offending content and respond to users whose speech was removed. But the proposal really just raises more questions than answers about how sites big and small would be expected to comply. Cato's Will Duffield and Mike Masnick of TechDirt offer their assessments. Will, I want to start with you. There have been many efforts to reform Section 230, known as the 26 words that created the Internet, um, What is different about the so-called PACT Act? And I want to clarify something. The first time I went looking for the PACT Act, I found a bunch of stuff about vaping products, which is not what this legislation is about.
1: Well, the PACT Act has been seen as a more moderate approach to Section 230 reform. It's a bill sponsored by Senator Brian Schatz. And rather than attacking um, one perceived failing or issue with contemporary social media platforms, it proposes a host of really more procedural changes, um, which would alter how platforms go about moderating content when they offer appeals and how public they are in presenting statistics or other information related to their policies.
2: Mike, you have uh, written about this at uh, Tech Dirt on a number of occasions. Uh you note that it this bill kind of looks like a, a Christmas tree that is a <laughs> lot of things that are unrelated to the core issue are just sort of sort of crammed in here and it's sort of a maybe a regulator's christmas if you will.
0: <laughs> well, it, it's um it's worse than that in that it doesn't it doesn't really define the problem that it's trying to solve and it seems to be trying to solve a variety of different problems. Um, any one of which it might be worth exploring, but exploring in careful detail and, and looking at the nuances and the trade-offs of any particular approach and instead of doing that it sort of rushes in and, and sort of says we're trying to solve you know three or four different problems without necessarily defining the problems or exactly how it's going to solve it and especially without looking at the interplay between the different the different approaches and different ideas and whether or not they'll actually be able to do anything So what would it
2: look like for tech dirt to be run? Under the terms of this legislation
0: i I think it would be uh almost impossible for us to run at least in the way that we do now um you know it has some carve outs for smaller companies in theory, but it doesn't really. Um, define exactly how they determine that. It has some numbers, but but those numbers involve like how many users visit a site. Uh, and that, uh, for anyone who has run a site, knows th- there is no standard metric for how you measure those things. Uh, also, it doesn't say whether or not it's over time. So it, it basically says this many monthly visitors. Does that mean if it happens once or, or not? So some of it would depend on whether or not we qualify as a small site uh, under the bill or a larger site. And if we're a larger site, Then it has all of these things about like transparency reports and uh, having to set up a live call center to take, uh, you know, complaints effectively that, you know, as a small four person business, we are not going to be able to do. Uh, I don't think, you know, I think any call center would be like my cell phone and I, I don't think my wife would appreciate getting calls at three AM from someone asking why their comment was, you know, caught in the spam filter or whatever. But that's the kind of thing that we might have to do uh, if the PACT Act becomes law.
2: Sounds like a jobs program. <laughs> um, uh, will, with respect to th- this notion that there's this distinction to be drawn between large and small sites, what what are some of the practical effects of of, of doing that in uh, regulation?
1: Well, rather than drawing a pure one size fits all regulation, some of these proposals, increasingly the more nuanced ones, will attempt to set thresholds for different sort of pl- sorts of platforms. If you have X many users, this applies. If you're larger, then this other set of rules will apply to you. However, inherently, these thresholds are often drawn in in poor places, but end up having anti-competitive effects because they create different rules for platforms at different stages in the scaling process. Every platform hopes to grow over time, attract more users, and it's very hard to maintain any kind of consistent approach or particularly to adopt or attempt a new business model, a different way of providing publishing tools than others already out there, when you're worried then about switching that model, changing to comply with some other set of requirements at various stages in your growth.
2: Yeah, so, uh, Mike... You know, I didn't know what a startup really was for a really long time. Uh, And then someone very clearly explained to me, it is you are positioning yourself for very rapid growth. It seems that a firm that has uh, set itself up for extremely rapid growth would probably bust through a bunch of these thresholds uh, potentially very, very quickly and immediately have to try to comply with them.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, there's a whole bunch of oddities that that come up when you when you set up these thresholds, and and you know, there's no clear reason why the thresholds were set where they were, um, and you know, I, I think that. You know, the, the description that you gave of what a startup is, you know, I think some people try and make a distinction. And it's an important distinction between a startup, which is focused on trying to grow rapidly and a small business, which is designed to be small and maybe grow, but not grow at a at a really rapid pace. Um. So but, you know, in in Silicon Valley, in the startup world, the idea is always to grow very quickly. And you're right that the, the numbers that are put in in this bill, you know, a a decent startup will pass those very, very quickly and have incredible, you know, uh, responsibilities and and in some cases, onerous responsibilities very, very quickly in their growth process. And I think, you know, an important point to make on this, too, is that if there are real problems here, and again, like, you know, part of the problem of the bill is that it doesn't, doesn't clearly define what problems it is trying to solve, you know, if there are these real problems, You know, it's kind of weird to say, well, it's okay if those problems exist on smaller sites, but not on larger sites, because what kind of incentives does that create? It creates a very weird setup. And so I understand that like, we don't want to overburden smaller companies, but that's not really what this does. It just creates a very weird incentive structure that doesn't get at any of the real problems.
1: Will? There you can also imagine these caps creating... Or thresholds creating essentially caps on the size of alternative dissident communities that look to step outside Facebook or Twitter's walled garden. These are also thresholds that firms themselves have no real control over when they hit, other than potentially (laughs) kicking off users. Um, Recently, a multiplayer Viking game called Valheim received a lot of press because while still in early access before the game's official launch, it, uh, really struck gold and, um, reached five million users in just three months, which, uh, by any conventional metric is tremendous scaling, a, a huge success story. Um, but under, under this PACT Act, they would have suddenly become, um, a large firm with, um, perhaps illegal or unacceptable content moderation practices
2: uh mike that's one of the, one of the things about techdirt is uh you know i'm sure you guys are well experienced at having very uh, particular articles become very popular in a very short period of time that would throw your user base or your monthly visitors into uh a whole new category and as you mentioned your four guys uh you know what? What does what that? What does that do in terms of your ability to uh, either comply or just try to keep the site going?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it, it. It would be weird, right? I mean, if if the the situation is as it's read, and again, like the bill is not entirely clear on how these metrics are actually measured, um, but. Yeah, there's a very good chance. Like I, I would say, we sort of straddle the line. We're very close uh, in in most months to where they can what they consider to be a large firm, which I find hilarious because we are not uh, a large company by any any stretch of the imagination. But yeah, you know, when we have something go viral and have a popular article, we will easily pass that threshold and suddenly, you know, uh, apparently have to have all of these things in place, including things like setting up a transparency report or setting up a live call center to deal with these things. And I don't even know what that means. You know, a transparency report for us, you know, most of our moderation is we have, we have about three or four different spam filters that we use to deal with spam. I mean, it's exactly what it, what it says. And do I need to put out a report that says, like, how many, how many uh, spam comments we've, we got and how we dealt with them? Because that is a sort of massive undertaking for what good? Who, who has benefited from knowing how many spam messages our content filter caught? And, and even if we have to then go through and track, like every time we go through the spam filter and find a message that got caught that wasn't spam or the reverse, every time a spam message got through that we had to deal with, And then suddenly we have to track that. It's already a huge pain just dealing with the spam. Like, you know, leaving aside all of the other questions about content moderation, like our biggest content moderation issue is is literally that spam. We get probably 2,000 attempts to put spam messages on the site every day. And the filter is actually pretty good in in catching probably 95, 96% of that. But that's still an awful lot of spam that gets through. And we have an occasional message that shouldn't be caught that is. and so. You know, now if we also have to release a transparency report explaining all of those things, like, I'm not even sure how we would do that. And and putting in in place that process, you know, we would take somebody away from doing other important work, you know, keeping the site running and having them track how many spam messages we got and which ones got through and where and how. And, you know, I, I, I don't see how that helps anyone.
2: Well, one of my fears here, besides the, the, as Mike and you both point out, uh, it's not really clear what problem they're attempting to address here. The other problem is that this is bipartisan. <laughs> that is an attempt by Republicans and Democrats to come together to uh, alter uh, Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act in this particular sort of odd way. My big fear is a piece of legislation that sort of clamps down on freewheeling speech on the internet that both Josh Hawley and Bernie Sanders can agree on?
1: Well, in being a grab bag approach to legislation, it attempts at least to give everyone with a complaint about big tech some of what they want. So while Republicans might like some of the appeals provisions and the requirement that platforms publish a transparency report, uh, Democrats may find reason to support the bill because of its procedures for taking down illegal content, even though platforms, for the most part, comply with uh, or attempt to remove anything deemed illegal already. And um, mechanisms for really prodding platforms or allowing users to prod platforms to respond to violations of their own terms of service. However, this, to me, is one of the most concerning aspects of the bill, both at scale and for smaller sites, because it will allow trolls, malicious users, uh, people in the midst of, of conflicts with others online uh, to weaponize the complaint process or content moderation process. The bill would require platforms to investigate and respond to allegations of violations of platform rules within 14 days. So if I dislike your tweet and I report it to Twitter or I begin reporting all of your tweets to Twitter, Twitter must act one way or another on my complaints with reference to their rules within 14 days, every time I do this. And so if I go after you in a bad faith way, reporting your tweets, I can then set the tempo of Twitter's content moderation. I and perhaps a thousand others like me can
2: direct Twitter to just moderate Caleb Brown or Mike Masnick today. Please don't regulate me. <laughs> um, Mike, one of, one of the things here, you know, it, that really struck me uh, when you say that TechDirt is primarily for guys, um, you're trying to create a, a positive user experience for the, the many thousands of people who visit your website uh, every day. And uh, you want to have credibility with that audience. You want to grow your audience. Uh, This seems like an effort to set the terms under which you may establish rapport with your own audience.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's really important. There is this sort of like one size fits all kind of aspect to this. You know, one of the things that we're actually particularly proud of is that, you know, we have experimented quite a bit in how we handle Uh, comment moderation on the site. And and we have a fairly anything goes policy. Um, We do have the spam filters that I spoke about already, but we also allow voting. But it's a very different type of voting than other sites in that um, we try to create incentives for good behavior. So the voting for comments on our site, are there are three different buttons that people can press. So one is uh, if they vote for a comment as being insightful, or if they vote for a comment as being funny, And then the last one is that they can report a comment for being spam or trollish. And we sort of leave it up to the community to determine what that means. And, you know, the first two of those, the funny and insightful buttons are because those are the types of comments we want. And we are trying to, you know, encourage that kind of behavior. And because of that, you know, people vote. And if a comment reaches a certain threshold, it gets a little, you know, uh, a little, a graphic on it saying that people voted it as insightful or funny uh, and we keep track of that and we sort of show off the funniest and most insightful w- w- ones at the at the end of the week um, and we we've you know we were able to do that because we had this freedom to do that whereas now if we have to put in clear policies you know under the pact act that describes what what makes a an insightful comment what makes a funny comment and then explains like how they get judged Well, it's, you know, it's the community voting and judging that. Like, how how do we determine it? And the same thing with the trollish comments. If the community judges it as trollish and then somebody complains that, that, well, we didn't violate any policy. I'm not sure how I would even deal with that. Right. You know, we want the community itself to sort of decide and work these out on on their own. And we've even seen cases where, you know, a comment has been voted down as trollish. And if it gets, you know, with, with those comments, if they, they reach a certain threshold, what it does is it doesn't delete the comment. uh, It will minimize the comment. You just have to have an extra click to actually read those comments. And it's just sort of uh, again, sort of an incentive laden way to say like the community here does not appreciate this approach. You know, Whatever you said, the community thinks is 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 not the right approach. And we've had people actually argue back and say that, like, you know, hey, I don't think this comment really deserved to be downvoted in this way. You know, I was trying to make this point and maybe it was misunderstood. And we've had people remove their votes on it and have the comment come back. And that's something that our community allows you to do. But under the PACT Act, I'm not sure if we could keep that commenting system that way. And it would open up all sorts of things and we would have this situation where people would you know, if they got their comments voted down and this is like, you know, the biggest complaint that we get, and it is often from people who are trolls, like they are clearly trying to troll the site. The biggest complaint they have is that they don't understand why their comment was voted down, even though I think they know. Uh, But now we would have to be able to accept complaints about that and explain to them why people voted the way they do. And I, we don't have answers to that, and I don't know how we would handle that. And all it would really let let people do is, you know, the people who are clearly trying to be a nuisance to us in the first place would be able to be even more of a nuisance, including, you know, in some cases, being able to call us directly and, and ask for an explanation of why, you know, why their comment got voted down. I, I don't want to deal with that. It, it makes no sense to deal with that. And all it does is, is enable the people who are clearly bad actors and trying to create problems on the site. And I don't see why that that should be encouraged under the law.
1: There is no more effective troll than forcing someone to explain themselves to you (laughs) over the phone under threat of government penalty. Um, I can't imagine anything more obnoxious.
2: Uh, Well, this strikes me as a, if not bad, perhaps even uniquely bad, uh, avenue for federal regulation, uh, it, to the extent that there are reforms that quite possibly ought to be made to Section Two Thirty or the the manner in which people are allowed to express themselves on the internet, what would they be? I think in trying
1: to do everything, the PACT Act does everything badly, and these problems aren't just issues for for small platforms like. The issues he described in attempting to either or being required to either supplant community judgment or define and formalize it in a way that will effectively supplant it or prevent it from shifting over time would apply to larger sites like Reddit or Twitch that while they're big, they hand out a lot of responsibility for moderation to individual sub-communities or moderators, and there's no good way to capture that in this required definition. Um, I think even some of the perhaps easier lifts, areas of the bill that we would, for the most part, a- agree about, um, platforms, for instance, having to remove illegal content, are still treated so simplistically within the bill. And without awareness for potential avenues for abuse, that even those solutions end up being incomplete or creating as many problems as they solve. Mike has repeatedly written about, I believe more in the, the copyright context, but people using fake court orders in order to push for the removal of, of some content. And the PACT Act would, again,
0: formalize that process It's it's not even uh, um, just in copyright. It's all over the place. We we saw, you know, and and the thing that we've written about a few times is that. Uh, search engine optimization people or or reputation management companies depending on how you frame it uh, who would find you know bad reviews or bad things written about someone and fake court orders in order to get it taken down or worse uh, there was there' was this incredible process that that a few companies had done which is they would go to court they would file a defamation lawsuit about a review that was anonymous the review itself you know it was not clear who actually wrote it said, like, you know, this restaurant is no good. I got food poisoning, whatever it was. They would uh, file in court, say this was defamatory against a John Doe defendant. The very next day, the John Doe would show up, identify themselves and say, yep, that was me. I defamed them. I'm sorry. We've come to a settlement. And part of that settlement is I no longer support these words. You know, what is clear is that the person who would show up in court and say, that was me, was not the actual person who did it. But what would come out of that is then a settlement from court and a court order saying the person has agreed that they no longer support this speech. Therefore, we have a court order saying, you know, this speech was illegal. Then the, the reputation management company takes that court order, goes to the company and says, look, it was adjudicated by a court. They said this speech is illegal. They leave out the part that they, you know, somehow magically within a day found the John Doe to identify themselves and take, you know, credit for it and admit that the speech was illegal in some way. Uh, and and you know, for a while, companies were taking down that content because they said, well, here's a court order. And and then eventually, because it started to come out that people were faking these things and filing these, you know, completely bogus lawsuits, now the the companies are a little bit more open to it, or at least some of the bigger ones are. But under the PACT Act. If a court says this, then they would have to remove it. And so it would open this whole path up again for this this kind of scam to remove content that is perfectly legal, especially negative reviews and things like that.
1: And it would really incentivize platforms not to look twice or not to look too hard at these orders because it creates a common standard or template for what they must look like.
2: Mike Masnick writes and edits at Tech Dirt. Will Duffield is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.